If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And so how many of you remember your first job? Raise your hand. Some of y'all didn't get jobs. The first, first job is always a big job. You know, I had tons of jobs growing up. I started working when I was about 12 years old, mowing grass and doing landscaping, which is probably now against law. It's probably illegal to work kids at 12 years old doing manual labor 40 plus hours a week. Uh, but we didn't have much. And so if I want anything, I had to work. And so I remember when I was 14, I started working with my dad, who's an electrician. It's the first time I had like a real job, like where I actually had responsibilities. And I remember my first day of summer. My dad said, we're going to stop by the supply house. We've got to get your tools because you can't work unless you have the tools to do the work. So I go by the supply house, and my dad's joking with the guy behind the counter. He says, give him the starter kit. So I get this little tool belt with one pouch. I get one screwdriver, a set of pliers, and one other thing. I get three tools and a tool belt. We leave. I work all week. I'm making nothing. I'm making hardly any money at all. I get my first paycheck. What I didn't know is they were taking the money out of my paycheck for those three tools which apparently are the most expensive tools on the face of plate, gold-plated and everything. And I looked at my paycheck, and it was like $7.33. I looked at my dad. I was like, you're, you're Satan himself. I just worked for you all week long. You take all this money in for my tools, and who is FICA, and what are they doing with my money? <laughs> Nothing. $7 and some odd cents, and then a couple weeks later, it's raining. There's this big ditch in this job site, and my dad's helper is with us. And I said, bro, I will jump in that ditch, and I will do mud angels. I mean, there's water four inches deep in this ditch. I'll do mud angels for 20 bucks. He said, no, you won't. I said, yes, I will. I jump in that thing. I'm doing mud angels. I'm enjoying myself just flapping in the mud, making these mud angels. I get out. I'm in nothing but my boxers because all my clothes are caked in mud, sitting in this work van. There's only two seats, my dad, the helper, and then the 14-year-old scrawny kid in boxers. And my dad says, what in the world are you doing? I said, well, well, he said I wouldn't jump in there and do mud angels for 20 bucks, and I did it. I got 20 bucks. My dad said, you are stupid. I said, I made more money in that ditch in 33 seconds that I made with you in two entire weeks. And my dad says, you're actually pretty smart. He said, you should go full-time and making mud angels if that's the case. And so when you start that first job, it's exciting. And as the time wears on, you kind of wear down, it becomes just a job. And I think it's very easy to lose sight that every job has a purpose, not just for a paycheck, but actually has a purpose that nothing happens by accident. Everywhere you go, you're being led by God to new opportunities, new relationships, new tasks. The job you're at right now is not just a job, it's a divine assignment. And when you realize that, it will change the way you wake up on Monday mornings and change the way you leave on Friday afternoons. This is in Matthew chapter 4. It says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. Everybody say fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Say fishers of men. So same words, he just changes kind of the purpose of the words to change it to something else. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We use a scripture in our discipleship philosophy and strategy. It's three words, head, heart, and hands. Follow me as head knowledge that you have to make a decision to follow Jesus, to follow his ways, to follow what he says, to follow his word, to renew your mind with his word. That the discipleship is the head, but it's also the heart. He'll make you. He'll remake you. That the world has tried to make you into somebody. 
Usually somebody broken, somebody who's bitter, somebody who's hurt, somebody who's been betrayed, somebody who's been a failure, somebody who's been sinful, all these things. But Jesus likes to remake you into what he wanted you to be in the Garden of Eden. He remolds you, he reshapes you, he shapes your heart. That's the, that's the character side, the heart side of discipleship. But he doesn't stop there. He says, head, heart, and then hands. I will make you a fisher of men. I mean, he invites us into his divine plan and strategy to reach the entire world for his glory. And he needs your hands. The one thing the Holy Spirit doesn't have is a body. The Holy Spirit doesn't have hands. He doesn't have feet. He's looking for a body. And that's why God calls the church the body of Christ. You are the hands. You are the feet. You are the body. You are the mouthpiece for the Holy Spirit to use. He's looking for a body to use, and you are that body. He wants to use your head, your heart, and your hands. Or as in Daniel eleven thirty two, one of my favorite scriptures, it says, For those who know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. Those who know the head shall be the heart, do the hands. Those who know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. You can't do great exploits until you know who you are. And you can't do great exploits until you become who God has called you to be. Your exploits, everything in the gospel comes out of this being, out of your, who you are, out of your identity, out of your relationship. The strong doing, the exploits, the, the hands all come out of knowing who you are as a child of the Most High God. And in this scripture, he finds Peter. He finds Andrew. He says, hey, 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 stop casting that net. Stop, stop throwing the net over. And it was one of those round nets you may see with weights. And then they throw it over, and it sinks to the bottom. They pull it up quick. They're just throwing in all night long. They're just toiling away. He says, just stop. I want you to follow me. I'm going to make you into somebody new. But I'm going to invite you to change your occupation from just fishing to fishing for men. And so this is intense because Jesus could have picked anybody to be his first disciples. He could have picked anybody. He literally could have went to Herod or Pontius Pilate. He could have went to, the, to Paul. He could have went to the Pharisees. He could have went to the high priest. He could have went to the teachers. Of the, he could have went to the slave. He could have picked anybody to be his first disciples. But he picked the lowest of the low the hardest working fishermen who were rough and tough and gruff. And if you've ever been on a fishing trip, that's exactly what Peter and Andrew were like. They smelled a little fishy, acted a little fishy, said words they probably shouldn't say. They're rough. They were tough. Society even looked down on them. They'd fish all night. And then they would get up in the morning and they would sell the fish in the marketplace. And so these are people who understood hard work. These are people who understood business. These are people who understood relationships and, and selling and, and, and buying. They're people they thought were multilingual in order to sell things to different people. They had to know different languages. And so Jesus picked these people that no one else would have picked to accomplish the greatest mission the world had ever seen. And, and if you were doing a job interview, they'd probably be the last ones on the list to say, we're looking for some preachers of the gospel. The first gospel ever preached and the only gospel ever preached. You'll be the first people to start the church that should multiply across the entire world. We're looking for candidates. And if you find Peter and Andrew, they would not be on your list. Yet, Jesus chose them. He says, I know you're a fisherman. I want to make you fishers of men. See, when you say yes to Jesus, you begin following Jesus. You may have the same job, but you have a new career. 
When you begin to follow Jesus, you may have the exact same job, but you have a new career. You may still fish. We know that Peter and Andrew fished even after Jesus was crucified and resurrected. Jesus finds them fishing. You know why? They had to make money, so they went back to what they knew. They're still fishing, but their career is different. Your job may be to fish for fish, but your career is why you fish for fish. You're actually fishing for people. And so what you need to know is that your job is one way. That's how you make a paycheck. But your career is how God takes, when you follow him, the gospel changes your earthly job and gives it spiritual purpose. But we've been brought up that everything's secular or holy. You do your church stuff on Sunday. You do your secular stuff through the week. And we've had this separation between the two. But Jesus actually combines the two together. He says your job, while you're there, you can actually do holy stuff. Your job, while you're there, you actually have spiritual moments. Your job, even if you're at a factory pushing a button, you still have a spiritual purpose while you're there. Yet you're a teacher and you're teaching math to teenagers who aren't listening a bit, but while you're there, you have a spiritual purpose. Yeah, you're a car salesman. You think you're just working, and that may be your job, but while you're there, you have a spiritual purpose to bring light into darkness. See, you may have an earthly job, but you've got a spiritual career. And that's what Jesus is trying to communicate right here to Peter and Andrew, is to be who Jesus would be if Jesus was you. Yeah, you're a fisherman, but I want you to be who Jesus would be if Jesus was a fisherman. Yeah, you're a car salesman, but I want you to be who Jesus would be if Jesus was a car salesman. Yes, you're a school administrator. Yes, but I want you to be a school administrator that Jesus would be if Jesus was a school administrator. Yes, you're a football coach. Why don't you be a football coach that Jesus would be if Jesus was a football coach? Discipleship is being who Jesus would be if Jesus was you. And so you may work on the same job tomorrow, but you have a brand new career. You may have the same manager, but you have a new boss. And your boss is in heaven who sees everything that you do. You may have the same title, but you have a new role. You may have the same paycheck, but now you have new rewards that are stored up for you in heaven. You may go to the same office, but you have a new window or new perspective to look through as you work. You may still fish, but while you fish, you're building his kingdom. See, would you realize that your work is just as much of your worship as what you just did before I started preaching? It will change your life. It will change your life. And it won't just change your life. It will change the lives of the people around you. Because your influence will grow. Your ministry will grow. And when you realize that throughout the Bible, the Bible disguises spiritual heroes in secular careers. It's almost like it's intentional. When you read the Bible, the heroes of the faith aren't the people who are sitting, speaking behind a pulpit. The heroes aren't the people who are sitting up in the throne room. The heroes are people that God sprinkles throughout society in secular jobs and elevates them through divine moments and divine opportunities to walk out his purpose here on earth. If you don't believe me, Isaac was a real estate developer. Jacob was a rancher. Joseph was a government official in charge of all the agriculture and economy and immigration policies who served Pharaoh in a foreign land and did not honor Israel's God. Joseph could honor God while he served in a government that did not honor Jehovah. 
He could have left that job at any moment and said, you know, I'm going to leave my job because, you know, Pharaoh's not godly. He's not setting godly policy. I'm going to go and start a church. I'm going to go start a not-for-profit. No, God kept him in the midst of a secular, unholy government in order to be the hero God needed him to be. Moses spent 40 years as a sheep herder. Esther won a beauty pageant and went into government service. David worked in husbandry, or the animal husbandry, the military and statecraft. Daniel was an immigrant who attended Babylon's version of Oxford and then became the prime minister of an evil government. Lydia was a successful businesswoman in textiles. Paul was a tent maker. Jesus spent three quarters of his life as a carpenter, yet all of them in the middle of their secular occupation, God used them to advance his kingdom through the marketplace. But we've come in this day and age where we think, you know, ministry happens on the platform, ministry happens on Sunday, and I just go do my job and I come back to church. No, you are the church. And wherever you go, there's a church service. You go to your job, there's a church. You go to your classroom, there's a church. Wherever you go, because you have to be who Jesus would be if Jesus was you. So I want to tell you, God has placed you right where you are to fulfill a purpose that is an assignment from heaven for where you're at. He said, Pastor, you don't know my job. You don't know who I work with. And hopefully it's not the staff saying that. You, you, you don't... You don't know where I work. Like, they're all heathens. They're all this, da, da, da. Do you realize those heathens, those people we think are just so far from God, they're vulgar, they're this, this. Do you realize they probably have some saved family members. They've been praying and toiling at the altar for years. God, if you just bring a Christian along their path. God, if you just bring somebody across their path that loves you and knows your word and they can be an influence in their life. Do you realize you are where you're at because of answered prayer? You say, Pastor, I prayed for the other job. I didn't pray for this one. Well, that means somebody's praying a little bit harder than you're praying. And God moved you. You are on divine assignment. God has camouflaged you in a secular job as a biblical hero to somebody. And it's in you, and God wants to use you. And we talked about five areas last week. I want to hit just five more this week. So out of the 12 spheres, we have family and social services, church and missions, government, law, security, education and students, print and social media, business and commerce, science and technology, health and medicine, agriculture and environment, not-for-profit and service, arts, entertainment, and people groups. Everyone fits in one of these 12 spheres that you have influence in. And so today, here, here's five. I want to go, number one is education and students. That I believe is one of the most important. That education to teachers, coaches, administrators, professors, teachers' aides, teachers' assistants, tutors, people that God has placed in extremely volatile, sensitive areas of culture and society. The classroom. If you don't believe me, throw up that said We see this. On average, students K through 12 spend 1,080 hours per year within a school setting. That is 14,000 hours of influence during their school years, which are the most developmental times of their entire lives. When you send your children to school, you're sending them to be influenced for 1,000 hours a year. To compare that to the church, if you bring your children to church every Sunday, everybody say every Sunday. Every Sunday, all 52. It would only be 78 hours a year. 
If you bring your child to church every Sunday from kindergarten through graduation, it'll be a thousand hours of influence. You cannot drop your kids off at church and expect them to have more influence than the teachers at the school. You can't drop your kids off at church and expect the church to fix what teachers and school and culture building of college does in a thousand hours a year, you cannot fix in 78 hours a year. As a matter of fact, if you're a parent, you need to make sure you're trying to keep up with these a thousand hours a year as well. How much influence are you providing your children for your worldview and for your culture and for your traditions and for your faith and for your boundaries and for your principles and for your things? How much are you influencing? Because the school is the place of influence. And that's why I believe God is placing teachers. He's raising teachers up, professors up that are biblical heroes, that are heroes of the faith, that are hidden inside secular classrooms to be the voice of God to a new generation. We can complain about schools, we can complain about education, we can move our kids to Christian schools, we can homeschool, which I think those are all options that should be looked at for every parent. Homeschool, private school, public school, however you think is the best way to influence your children, I think you use. But at the same time, the classroom is coming one of the greatest mission field opportunities on planet Earth. And you say, well, you know, they took prayer out of school and they've done this. You know, I heard this Air Force officer say this. He's like, thank God. He said, because when they took prayer out of the military, he said, what happened is those who are really Christians have raised themselves up for true prayer. Before it was just a ceremony, a ritual, a tradition. Now it's actual prayer. And I will say this, that you can take prayer to school, but you can't take prayer to godly teachers. And I believe that's why God is raising up spirit-filled, bold, courageous teachers and professors and educators to be in the classroom that are saturated in prayer to be able to influence the entire next generation. If you want to look at one of the influencers here at our church is uh, Dr. Becky Smith. Becky is an incredible professor at UNA. She's been instrumental in starting Dream Center Academy with Toya, instrumental in getting the education department at UNA connected to Dream Center Academy. She does a Bible journaling community group that connects a lot of young college kids to her group. She's embraced the fact that she is a missionary on campus. There's other professors like Dr. Mighty and teachers, Lisa Schaefer. There's incredible teachers here that realize I have a calling from God, that I'm not an educator, I'm a missionary. And it makes a difference, not just in their lives, but in the lives around them. So some keys to influence is, one, pray for your students, pray for your classroom, pray for the other teachers, that there should not be a room any believer walks in that you did not pray for first. One of the things I, I try to do every day is when I'm praying, I pray over my calendar. I pray for this meeting and that meeting. I want God to go before me everywhere I go. And if I'm going to a school, which is, is volatile anyway, I'm going to pray over my classroom. You can get to class five minutes early and just pray for every seat. Father, I pray for, for, for RJ because his dad, I understand all the influences in his life. God, I pray for RJ. I pray for Ariah. I pray for, you just walk through. You could pray over every single chair in that room and saturate it with prayer. Two, build relationships with students that last a lifetime. 
Like last night, if you ever read the, the book Tuesdays with Maury, it's a story of this guy coming back and sitting with his professor, Maury, who is about to pass away, and he's just sitting, going back through all these life stories that you can have that type of impact on people when you build relationships that last a lifetime. And remember, education is not informational. Make it transformational. Like it's not about getting the numbers right. It's not about getting the commas right. It's about transforming young minds into young, passionate followers of Jesus. It is not information. It is transformation. And four, prophesy over your students. You say, well, how do I do that? You know, you can make the supernatural seem natural. Like you don't have to be weird and kooky and all those things. And prophecy is nothing more than you relaying something God laid on your heart for somebody else. And you do that, one of the ways we talk about in a staff meeting is these four letters. I see in you. I see in you this. You don't say, oh, the Lord God. The Lord God. And you start speaking King James. No one likes that. That's weird. But you can say, you know, I saw you, I saw you leading some of those. You're a leader. Do you know that? You're a leader. And you have influence in this classroom. And I believe it's time for you to step up. And, and, and you know what? You're so good at English. You're a, writer. You're a natural writer. And you begin to prophesy over the students. You know why that's powerful? Because they go back to homes where the parents tear them down with words every single day. And when you're the one that's prophesying, I see in you, somebody has to be the one that sees beyond the exterior to the interior and calls it out of people. And educators have that amazing potential to do so. Number two would be government, law, and national security. Police officers, politics, government, all those things, these Josephs, these Nehemiahs, these Daniels that are in our culture, that God raises up police officers. He raises up politicians. He raises up government leaders. He raises up uh, even bureaucrats for some reason. He raises them up to be influential in government. And why is that such a big deal? You know, as believers, we must be ruled by faith and love. But the world is not under the gospel, and so the world is not ruled by faith and love. The, rule, the world is ruled by sin. And so Romans 14, so many scriptures tell us that God establishes government. He establishes officials. He establishes law as a way to bring peace in society so people can operate and function correctly. And so Proverbs 28.2 says it this way. Where there is a moral rot within a nation, its government topples easily. But wise and knowledgeable leaders bring stability. And God is looking for wise and stable leaders to bring strength and peace and godliness back to the city, to the state, and to the nation that we're in. And so that may be you. God may be calling you. May God may be calling you as a police officer to be somebody who can bring stability to our society. He may be calling you to be a, an attorney that brings stability and justice and righteousness back into society. It's so one of the influencers is Brian Stevenson. So you may not know who he is. If you ever watched the movie Just Mercy, it's based on the movie of Brian Stevenson. Brian is from Alabama. He saw the injustices of some of our laws that were, that were geared towards young African-American men. He didn't like the laws because they were disproportionately applied to different demographics in society. He went to, went to college, got his law degree, he's a professor at NYU, and he started appealing cases that looked like they had injustices in them. And since then, he's created his own foundation, the Equal Justice Initiative, that brings justice, social justice, to old cases where people are put in prison because of the color of their skin, not because they actually committed the crime. 
And so God is looking for people that can bring holy, righteous justice to society. I, I don't know who Jesus would be if he was a lawyer, but I would think he would be somebody like a Brian Stevenson who's looking to right wrongs in our society. I would think he'd be police officers that were looking to right wrongs in society, looking to protect the innocent and the pure and protect children, that God is looking for leaders like that to, to bring influence. So the keys to influence is, one, if you go into government, if you go into government service, use your authority and influence to serve the interest of others, not your own interest. The difference between holy leadership and unholy leadership is unholy leadership uses its authority to benefit itself, to benefit its pocketbook. And we can na- I can name congressmen and senators all day long where they have gotten rich off benefiting themselves at the expense of the people they serve. That is an unholy type of leadership. When you're a holy type of leadership, you serve and sacrifice for the benefit of others. Two... Be a person of integrity. If you're going to be in leadership, if you're going to be in government, be a person who you can open up your doors and you're the same person out there as you are in here. And then be a good Samaritan every single day, especially if you're a police officer. I love, you know, when I'm not getting pulled over for speeding, I love when you see a police officer helping somebody change a tire on the road. I love seeing them help somebody. in That's what police officers are established to do to serve and protect. But when you get outside of the rules or the laws of the community, that's when they have to begin to enforcing laws. And I, and I just believe God is calling police officers that, are, that look at their job more as serving than enforcing. They look at their job as, a, as of the front lines of the kingdom of God to bring love and light and hope to people in broken situations. One of the most amazing stories I've ever heard and I hate giving these light type illustrations, but Lil, who knows who a Lil Wayne is? The rapper. All two of you. Thank God. Do not go Google Lil Wayne. But Lil Wayne, he was shot when he was like 12 years old in his house. He was dead. They literally had no pulse. And he tells this story, and it's so dramatic. He actually won an award. He's sharing the story. He says, I just want to dedicate this to Uncle Bob. So Uncle Bob is this white police officer. That Lil Wayne is shot. He's a young boy. He's shot in the chest. All the other police officers run and step over this 12-year-old boy's body, step over his body to go find the drugs that they were looking for. Uncle Bob stops and starts condemning the other officers. He said, this is a little boy. He said, I can't, you don't need to stop. And he he starts condemning them right there. He begins to resuscitate him. The EMS is there. Uncle Bob places Lil Wayne in his own police car, because he's not going to make it to the hospital in the the ambulance, and drives him himself. And Lil Wayne tells the story, he says, what's amazing is all the officers that stepped over my body were African-American officers. But Uncle Bob was a white man. And I believe God is calling police officers that instead of going looking for drugs, they take care of the victim, even if they're guilty first, to show them the love of Jesus before they show them the law of the land. And I believe when that happens, it brings an influence not just to police officers, but it solves a lot of the junk we see in society of defund the police and everything else because the police are looked at as the good guys instead of the bad guys. Number three is arts, entertainment, and sports. Obviously highly influential. Most of our kids know their famous athlete. They know their favorite entertainer, their favorite musical artist. They know it's highly influential. But in Exodus 31, it says this. I love this scripture. It says, The Lord said to Moses, See, I've called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with 
the Spirit of God. And due to being filled with the Spirit of God, he now has the ability and intelligence with knowledge and craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in gold and silver and bronze and cutting stones for setting and in carving wood to, every, to work in every single craft. Do you realize that one of the benefits of being filled with the Holy Spirit is increased creativity? And throughout the Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon leaders, they all of a sudden had these skills of creativity, whether it was artistic design, whether it was music, whether it was singing, whether it was carving, whether it was gold or silver. They had this creativity. And I think it goes back to the great commandment of loving God with all your soul. That when you're in arts and creativity and entertainment, that you love God with all your soul. And there's this creativity that flows out of you that begins to influence the people around you. We saw it in the church throughout the ages, the Renaissance. The Renaissance to me is nothing more than the rebirthing of the creativity of the Holy Spirit. That people get outside the norms of customs and routine and traditions, and all of a sudden they're in prayer and the creativity of the Holy Spirit begins to flow in them and it begins to influence those around them. There's a Renaissance, I would say, here in the 70s and 80s. You see people like, we're talking about Will McFarlane earlier, Will McFarlane, Lenny LeBlanc, uh, 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 Justin or Joey Holder, all these incredible people that, that the Holy Spirit breathed upon them and creativity began to flow that ministered to God, ministered to his people, but also began to influence the world around them. And I believe God, we're on the brink of a new renaissance where the creativity of God is, is reconnected to the people of God and the people of God now become the influencers of society instead of society being the influencers of the people of God. And so one of the, the influencers of that is Tim Tebow. So yes, he doesn't play for Alabama, doesn't play for Tennessee. He played for Florida. But I don't know anybody who has used their platform in sports or entertainment better than Tim Tebow. He's like, well, how could he say that? You have never once heard somebody say a negative word about Tim Tebow. Never once said, hear somebody say, you know, he, he's a different person when he's not on the platform. He's a different person when he didn't have the microphone in his hand. No, I know people that know him personally, and they'll tell you he's the same person out there on ESPN game day as he is in the church. They'll say he carries himself and does everything exactly like he says. And our young people need people who can, they can see who can be influential and be successful but still maintain their following of Jesus Christ. Some of the keys to influence is your platform is his platform. Use it wisely. If God gives you a platform in worship, gives you a platform in music, gives you a platform in entertainment, gives you a platform in the arts, gives you a platform in poetry. If he gives you a platform, it's not your platform. It's his. Use it wisely. And two, use your creativity to provoke the awe and wonder of God and other people. Like when other people are amazed and are in awe and wonder of your gift, the gift actually points to the gift giver, who is God. And through your creativity, creativity, you actually become an influencer of others. And science and technology is next. God is the intelligent designer. God is the divine engineer. And God is raising up engineers and cybersecurity people and IT and physics, biology, computer programmers, and more. Because God places in our minds an engineering mind to figure out science, to figure out technology, to figure out things. Because our world is in chaos unless God comes forth and brings order out of it. And some of you have those minds that... You see chaos and you just structure it. 
You see something happening, you wonder how that happened. That is placed in you by God to be used for God to bring order into a chaotic world. That's science, that's technology. Some of our young people love programming and love cybersecurity and love physics and science. and bio- All those things, God wants to use you to be an influence in those realms to bring order back to chaos. One of the people that do this best is Bobby Gruenwald, who works at Life.Church, LifeChurch.TV. He's actually the creator and developer of the YouVersion Bible app, which is incredible. This guy was making secular money as a software developer at a secular company. He was also working part-time at, at this church, Life.Church. And he said, you know, I think there's a way. And this is like 2006-ish. Like apps was just got launched. The app store just got launched. And Bobby Grunewald had this idea. We should put the Bible on the app store. The first question people ask is, what is the app store? He said, well, see this place. You buy like these little software programs on your phone. Like what's an iPhone? He had to go through the whole thing. So he's way in the infancy of the whole move of smartphones and apps. And they started the YouVersion Bible app and made it completely free. And now people all, billions, I think they crossed the billion mark, billion downloads of the Bible for free all across the world. And how did he do that? God gave him a mind of engineering, of developing software, and he used that for God's glory. So the keys to influence is, one, don't forget the why. Sometimes scientists get so caught up in the how. How did God create this? How did God do this? How did God do this? Why does this work? You get so caught up in the how, don't forget the why. See, science describes the how of creation, but the Bible describes the why of creation. That it's all for God's glory and purpose. Number two, love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. That God gave you a mind that as you figure out the details and you use your mind and you learn, you're actually worshiping God through your mind. And then three, leverage technology for the good of others, not just for your paycheck. And then last but not least is healthcare and medicine. So I sandwich I think education and healthcare are the two main spheres that God is raising people up in. You say, why is that? If you look at COVID, what were the two things that were affected the most by COVID? Healthcare and education. And God's way of repairing or restoring that is raising up people in both spheres that are spirit-filled, gospel-believing, Jesus-following, bold leaders within their area of influence. Matthew 4, 23, it's the ministry of Jesus. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Jesus' ministry was preaching, teaching, and healing. Preaching, teaching, and healing. We get caught up so much in preaching and teaching, preaching and teaching. God is a healing God, and Jesus' ministry was a healing ministry. It would have looked a lot like Oral Roberts or Kenneth Hagin if he was here today. And healthcare is, I believe, one of God's primary gifts to the world. Jesus God, the Trinity, are the great designer. Psalms 139, he describes how he knits us in our mother's womb. He's the maker. He's the source of care and love. He's the giver of life. He's the great physician. He's the healer. He's the counselor. He's the consoler and the comforter. He's the physical trainer in 1 Timothy. And that God raises up people that look just like Jesus would look if Jesus was here. Surgeons and doctors and nurses and counselors and nutritionists, even physical trainers, people that restore the temple of the body of God is a gift from God to the world. 
And so when he raises you up, he raises you up to, to be an instrument of God's healing power on earth. When I pray for people, I'm praying, God, that you either heal them supernaturally through your spirit right now in their body, or use the wisdom, the knowledge, and the hands, and the wisdom, and the gift that you've placed inside these doctors and nurses. See, we, we can get so caught up in it. It's faith or science. No, it's faith and science. It's knowledge and faith. Or Roberts started, when he started Or Roberts University, he started a medical school first in its kind where it combined the science of med- medicine and healthcare with the prayer of faith. And it was both combined. I believe God is doing that again today. At least bringing people into hospital rooms and medical practices and nurses that come not just with knowledge, but with passionate, fervent faith. That God is bringing gifts of healing through human bodies. One of the people that, that I admire and I think do this best is Dr. Wayne Stanley, who's one of our elders here, who's been practicing medicine in the Army and locally for, for years and just has a reputation of being somebody who's looking at the whole person. And he walks into the room. He doesn't just walk into the room with, with the knowledge of medicine. He walks into the room with the knowledge of God. Prayerfully walking into each and every room. And he's been a, a role model and example for many other doctors. And even uh, Demi, who is up on the platform, got to hook him up with him to, to show them an example that it doesn't have to be done in a way that they tell you it has to be done. It can be done in a personal, loving, relational, spirit-filled way. Some of the keys to influence is one, for your doctor nurse, use your stethoscope to listen to your patient's hearts. But use your spiritual ears to listen to their spiritual needs. That you'd be amazed at how many times people are carrying physical sickness because of spiritual issues. You'd be shocked at how many times people have a physical manifestation of unforgiveness and bitterness in their life. And that you may be placed in that room to bring the physical healing to the body, to bring medicine, to bring the pharmaceuticals, but also to bring spiritual compassion. Two, you are called to the ministry of the laying on of hands. Telehealth, telemedicine is great, but there's something powerful about physical touch. We learned this through COVID. I believe one of the reasons that that COVID was as bad as it was is because we, we got scared to touch people. And I believe there's something powerful. The Bible talks about on the laying of, it calls it one of the six elementary doctrines in Hebrews. The laying out of hands. There's something about personal touch and contact that breaks down walls, but brings agreement, as well as where two or three agree, and touch brings agreement that brings healing to people's physical bodies. And doctors and nurses, you're not called there just for your mind. You're called there for your hands. God has given you a gift of healing hands that when you go in, every room you go into, you go in there with knowledge, but you go in, you can pray silently in every room you go into. And you can go in. One of the things I, I, I just do, I tell the staff, like when I talk to people, I touch people. One, that's a discernment. I, I, can, under, I can feel things when I, when I touch people. But two, it breaks down walls and connects us together. And when you're serving in medicine, some people, they're alone, they're hurting, they're broken, they're by themselves, and God has brought you into their room to bring the love of God into their midst. If you're counseling or comforting or, or mental health, apply God's truth like a salve to people's emotional wounds. 
Like mental health is for real. Counseling is needed. All these things. And God is raising up people as counselors and, and mental health professionals and psychiatrists that understand how the mind works, but also can apply God's word to renew the mind to be the way God wants it to be. And I believe we're coming into a time such as this. Education and healthcare are spheres that God wants to use you guys in to bring his kingdom come. Here's some scriptures on healing. First Peter 2 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you have been healed. James 5 says this, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed any sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. That scripture doesn't say just, just call, call the 1-800 hotline or, or you know, call TBN, give them a donation for $99.95 and get your prayer. It says call for the elders, a personal relational touch. Anointing them with oil, a touch. We believe that here, but also believe that out there. And so as we, we close today, I just want you to stand to your feet. And we're going to close a little bit differently. We're going to go back into to one more song of worship. But if I can have our staff and elders come forward. Brian said it earlier. He said, I believe there's an anointing for healing in the room today. I want to encourage you. That scripture in James 5 says, if anyone among you is sick, that's a blanket statement. He said, once you call for the elders of the church, they can anoint you with oil and pray for you because there's great power working as you pray. And so maybe you, you've been sick in your body. Maybe you've got sickness. Maybe you've got disease. Maybe you've got cancer, diabetes. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's mental health stuff. I, I don't know what it is. But maybe you've tried doctors. You've tried different pharmaceuticals. You've tried different things. You've had surgeries. I want to encourage you, try God. Trust him at his word. If he says, if you come and let them pray, that physical touch where two or three touch and agree, let it be so. And I'm, I'm praying for just an anointing of healing in this room. Testimonies a couple years ago, Andy and Annie, they're from Puerto Rico. I actually have the, the picture. They're Hurricane Maria a couple years ago. They, they moved to Florence, Alabama. She didn't have insurance yet. Her shoulder was just tore up with bone spurs and arthritis. I mean, just torn up. She didn't have insurance, couldn't have the surgery yet. We began to pray. Her church back home began to pray. Actually had the extra. She went back to the doctor. There was absolutely nothing in her shoulder at all. Completely cleaned up. I have a picture side by side to show you before prayer and after prayer. No doctors involved. Why? Because the prayer of faith works as you're praying. So if you say, that's me, I just need, I need, I need healing. I just want you to come forward. You say, no, I'm nervous. It's nothing to be nervous about. We're just praying. We're trusting God as well. We're praying for God to touch your body and to heal your body. He's the creator. He's the restorer. He's the great physician. No one knows your body better than God knows it. 
The doctor can do tests to try to figure your body out. God created your body. He knows every single detail about it. He knows the hair on your head. He knows the bones in your body. He knows the muscles in your body. He knows everything. And so if there's anybody who can restore it back the way it's supposed to be, it's God. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the influencers in this room, teachers and professors and teachers' assistants, police officers, government officials, national security people, Father, technology people, scientists, cybersecurity people, IT people, software developers, Father, doctors and nurses and counselors, Father, poets and artists and musicians and vocalists and videographers and photographers. And Father, I pray for a stirring of the Spirit of God in this place. Holy Spirit, I pray that you begin to stir your people to awaken them to their new career as fishers of men on divine assignment to bring your light and your hope and your glory into every room they walk into. Father, and for the, right now, I just pray for an anointing of healing in this place. The Holy Spirit, you bring people's bodies back into alignment with heaven. You bring their bodies back into divine purpose and ability, strength to rise up, sickness to flee, disease to be removed, health to be restored in all things in Jesus' name and all God's people said.